yo, what's happening, people? Welcome back to the Rotobomb Podcast. Pete Davidson here on 420. And um, we got a big week ahead of us. Uh, Thursday night, we got the NFL draft, so we only got a couple days left. Um, this is going to be my second, you know, big podcast prior to the draft. We dropped the uh, running backs last week. Check that out if you have not already. Um, Today we're going to hit the receivers, we're going to focus on my, my top 10, and man, what a freaking top 10 it is. I mean, good God. Um, in fact, just to just to give you a feel for how tough it is to get into the top 10, here are some guys I could not fit into my top 10, okay? And these are guys I like, like uh, Devin DuVernay out of Texas, Chase Claypool out of Notre Dame, who we talked about uh, prior to the combine, and then he just blew the damn combine up. Uh, Brian Edwards out of South Carolina, Tyler Johnson out of Minnesota. Some of these guys didn't work out, and that's probably why they don't have more buzz. Um, Lynn Bowden out of Kentucky, very fun player. Um, Antonio Gandy-Golden out of Liberty, he's a guy with some very interesting traits. Um, K.J. Hamler out of Penn State. Um, Gabe Davis, a guy we talked about um, uh, prior to the Combine out of UCF. Uh, Antonio Gibson, the freak out of Memphis, who, you know, may end up being a running back. So uh, that's another thing to think about with, with Gibson. Uh, man, that 439 was an attention getter, obviously. Uh, Donovan People Jones out of Mich- out, out of uh, Michigan, uh, another guy who we liked going into the combine, who had a nice combine. Um, <laughs> I could really go on. This is just an insanely deep class, but just listening to all these guys that I just listed who aren't in the top 10, that's just nuts. Um, so... I'm going to be going through the top 10 guys here. Uh, I'm going to do my very best not to have this thing exceed an hour. I think we can get it done. Um, And um, I'll be back again. Uh, Actually, I'm recording with Jordan McNamara of uh, McNamara Dynasty. That's going to be a lot of fun. Jordan is a freaking smart as hell guy. Um, And after the draft, we're going to get back together. We're doing a little home and home, as I mentioned, I think, uh, in the last pod. Uh, And Jordan will come on with me on this podcast Um, And we'll do a little uh, post-draft analysis, so that's going to be fun too. Um, So again, definitely want to keep an eye on the time here. There's a bunch of stuff I could get into, some fun stuff on Twitter and so on and so forth, but uh, definitely got a lot of work to do here. So let's get into, uh, and we're going to do it the the same way we did with the running backs. We're going to start at 10, uh, working our way down to number one, um, mentioning teardrops uh, along the way. So here we go with the top 10 receivers. Okay now. Coming in at uh, number 10, and, and this may surprise some folks because um, I've seen this guy as high as like three and four uh, on some boards of some very smart people. Uh, and this is a guy I absolutely like. I mean, if, you don't, if you're not intrigued by this guy, I don't know what to say. Uh, talking about one Denzel Mims out of Baylor. Um, you know, big, long, 6'3", 207, just, you know, pin the needle, 4'38 at the combine, jumped high, jumped long, uh, ran Satan's three cone, as we like to say, a 6.66. So much to like when it comes to Denzel Mims, just in terms of, you know, what he can do with the measurables. Um, and there's obviously a lot of really good film on him as well. Very impressive in terms of hand strength at the catch point, the ability to lose guys after the catch, make big plays. Uh, Mims is a huge deal in terms of, he's just a, a real tough guy to handle in a lot of ways. Uh, really good at top shelfing the ball. Um, but, you know, that sort of gets into where I have problems with Mims because the tape doesn't always match up with the archetype or whatever the hell you want to say. Um, 
He's an older player, which means he's more physically mature than some of the guys he's beating up on. That edge will go away in the NFL. Um, you know, being a 6'3", 200-pound receiver in the NFL is, you know, it doesn't make you special um, the way it does when you're playing at Baylor. Uh, so th- there is going to be, I think, a curve for Mims just in terms of getting used to guys who can be physical with him back at him. He doesn't see as much of that um, in his conference uh, in, in college. So I do think there's a, just a competition curve for him. Um, and look, if the thing about Mims is I just, I want more than I get. You know, when you watch the highlight reels, it's very impressive. When you watch the game cutups, you see, take a playoff here or there, which you don't love to see. The routes get rounded off more than you'd like to see. He's high in and out of his breaks, like really high, which I'm not a big fan of. Um, But we've seen guys who play this way and who can be successful. It does not mean he's not going to be very good. Um, And I think when you look at the total package, you know, I... And I don't want to get too touchy-feely with this, but this is something that Coach and I agreed on when we were watching his tape together, is that he has, you know, he has the feel of what maybe one of these guys who's taking a little bit easy in college, where this guy knows he's a pro, um, and you know, he may not be showing everything he's got at times. Um, and that's very touchy-feely and probably something I shouldn't even say. But you know, Mims is a guy absolutely I want on my dynasty rosters. The question is, am I going to be willing to pay? Um, And I don't know what the price is going to be. All things equal, he's my 10 receiver. Now, obviously, that could change if he gets a prime gig. Um, If a team that we view as smart decides to go all in on him, that will change what I think of him to some degree. So Mims is a guy you absolutely have to take very seriously. Uh, Could be, you know, a real game breaker in the NFL if he hits. Um, the fact that he's in an advanced age, the fact that he does some things I don't like, and the fact that if you, you know, when you look at a lot of his catches, a lot of them, while they're impressive, again, that he can top shelf so many balls, it's also a little disconcerting that he's got guys stuck to him as often as he does. So, you know, will he, you know, if this guy goes and becomes a better route runner at the next level, if this guy, you know, becomes a little bit more of a worker, a little bit more of a grinder, I mean, his ceiling could be really big. So, um, you know, if you like Mims a couple spots higher, you, you know, look, you, you know, you're not going to have me calling you stupid. Trust me. Um, so Denzel Mims, very, very intriguing player. And again, the the, the combine performance was a real eye opener. Um, not that you can't see that stuff on film. Mims is a guy like, when he breaks free, when he gets those legs going, when he builds up that speed, it's very obvious he's a big, fast dude. Um, now, next guy on the list. Um, who's going to be in the same tier um, as Mims. Um, really, the, 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 the tier, the last tier in the top 10 is 7, 8, 9, 10. So we have Mims, and then the next guy is a guy you guys, if you've been paying attention to me during the offseason, you know how much I love this guy. Uh, but LaVisca Chanel Jr. out of Colorado. Um, now, he has an injury. He's had surgery. Um, I, you know, Did that have an effect on his speed at the combine? I think maybe it did because I think he's faster than 4.58. Now, he might only be like... You know, I had him like in the low four fives in my mind. I thought maybe he'd run like a four five, four five two, four five three, something like that. Uh, I think in pads he's faster than what he showed, uh, and obviously we're talking about a guy who's close to two hundred and thirty pounds, which is what he was running at at the combine. Uh, he's big, he's strong, he's a badass, uh, and I personally think his game is more developed. I think you know, calling him the next Cordero Patterson, you know, and obviously 
for those who go back with me a ways, you guys know I, I like Cordero Patterson a lot. Um, but I think this guy has more actual receiving game um, than Cordero had coming out of Tennessee, just for what it's worth. I, I don't think it's fair to compare their skill as a pure receiver because I think Chenault is ahead of Patterson and, and will likely stay ahead uh, of Patterson. Um, well, obviously. Um, so Chenault is a guy I really like. Obviously, that injury is a concern. Um, you know, you know, getting in the right scheme could be a thing. Landing spot matters with him because, again, he's a guy where if you've got a real whiteboard offense, that works for him rather than against him. Um, but, man, I like this player. This is a player, if he's slipping in drafts, I'm going to own a lot of Chenault. Um you know, you know, the negatives with him really is 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 not just the current injury, but the fact that he's had, you know, uh, uh, you know, some injuries in the past as well. And then you look at the nature of his game, you know, um, I think some, I, I can't remember who it was, but I heard somebody compare him to Sammy Watkins. And that, I actually sort of like that comparison only in that Watkins, particularly in college, had a tendency to look for contact. Um, and that can get you dinged up. So there is some element of does... LaVisca's style lead to perhaps missing time here or there. And, you know, hey, we don't like guys who uh, aren't on the field for us, so that's something to think about. Okay, coming in at number eight. <laughs> and, man, this is another guy I, I just really like. Uh, Brandon Ayuk out of Arizona State. Um, now, this kid's a Juco. He came from Sierra College. Um, you know, he improved from year to year, um, really liked the, the fluidity, you know, combined with explosivity, you know, he's got, you know, you might think he's got a soft body type, but he's so explosive, um, plenty of size to him. He's, you know, 205 could easily put on a couple more pounds without it hurting him though. I don't think he needs to, um, you know, he's tall, long arms, jumped 40 freaking inches. Are you kidding me? Uh, and I think, you know, again, um, Chanel and Ayuk had similar core muscle surgeries, um, you know, which may have, you know, th that could be an impact uh, on their combine performance. So I don't know that four or five to me, I thought was a step slow. Uh, Ayuk looks like a guy who's a touch below four or five to me, just my opinion, especially once he gets those long strides going. Um, you know, he's just, I really like this kid. He's only 21 despite being a Juco. I think he's, there's a lot of unexplored ceiling with this player. Um, I don't really see an offense out there that couldn't use a kid like this. Um, I do think he's a kid who have a little bit of a curve. Um, I, I think you'll see a natural one, two, three year progression from him. Now, not to say if you didn't put him in the right offense, like if somehow he landed on like Green Bay or something, he could be amazing right out of the gate because um, he'll be feasting on two and three corners. Um, you know, obviously with a quarterback who can deliver the football. So um, he's, you know, with a landing spot that, that works for him, uh, we could be excited about his rookie year, but I'm definitely excited about him for the career. Um, you know, I think in most classes, this guy is definitely higher uh, than eight on my board. Um, I'm just trying to think, is there anything I really want to throw in there with this guy? I mean, I've heard, I've heard some criticism that he gets too much in the manufactured areas of the game plan. Uh, to, to, you know, um, I, one guy was going on and on about how this guy can only catch slants. I, I, I don't know what that guy was watching. Um, he can do a lot more than slants. Um, and look, we have seen this in the past where, hey, this guy's got a lot of scheme touches. Um, uh, top of my, Debo Samuel. Debo Samuel's a good example of a player like la, that last year. Some very smart people were telling me, don't buy into T, um, Debo's numbers. 
Um, now, as you guys know, college numbers are something I barely even look at. <laughs> I don't care about them. It, it, it doesn't matter. I just want to know what can he do. Um, so, it's, you know, to me, um, this kid, this kid's just got all kinds of potential. When and back to the point, you know, getting scheme touches and stuff like that. Look, when you're one of the one or two best players on a team, and it's clear especially in college where the gap between your really talented guys and your just average players is going to be more than it is at the NFL level. Yeah, you are going to just go out of your way to find ways to get these guys to touch the football. And that's particularly true if your quarterback isn't great. You're going to find ways to get your better players involved to get their hands on the football. So to me, that's not a negative. Um, it would be a negative if he could not do other things. But to me, this guy clearly can. Uh, same thing with Debo Samuel last year, as as we all saw. Um, so really, again, Mims, Chenault, Ayuk, these guys, really, really talented players who can help your fantasy teams. And some of these guys almost have to be available in round two of our drafts, which is amazing. I mean, and that's something that we really need to talk about when it comes to this uh, rookie class. We've got, you know, four really good running backs. We've got another handful of guys who have real potential, right? So we've got, you know, eight, nine, 10, 11 running backs that are going to be very desirable uh, for dynasty purposes. We know we've got, you know, 10 wide receivers that have first round, um, you know, um, upside, you know, compared to your average first round of a rookie draft. And then we've got another 10 guys we'd like to fit in there. You know, you start doing the math on this, and we're into the we're like into the third round of a lot of rookie drafts, and they're still really good players on the board. We haven't talked about quarterbacks yet. We haven't talked about tight ends yet. So this is going to be a deep draft class. And one thing we're really going to want to do, it's not it's going to be hard for me because I have two leagues that literally start drafting the second the NFL draft is over. So you don't have a lot of time to get into ADP and stuff like that. But for those of you who are drafting a couple weeks after the draft, a month after the draft, six weeks after the draft, that kind of thing, you are going to be able to look at ADP and really map out a creative strategy to attack your drafts where you can get a lot of really good players this year you know, without having to necessarily trade up. This is a great year to trade back and add picks. I mean, um, I mean, I was recommending we do that last year. I mean, I moved back one spot in the first round in one of my leagues and picked up an extra second round pick. Um, and, you know, <laughs> that, that, that second round pick turned into Miko Hardman. This is going to be like that, but even better. So um, this is definitely a year to start thinking about your in-draft strategies and, and not just standing and delivering, but really thinking about trying to manipulate the draft in your favor, sliding back even conceivably. I mean, my, you know, I've talked about this in the past. My general strategy is to try to move back in round one, move up in round two to catch the guys who are falling on my board. I, I can see myself falling into that pattern this year in a lot of my drafts. Um, Okay, where are we? Um, we hit 10, we hit 9, we hit 8. That's Mims, Chanel, and Ayuk. Um, now we're going to get to number 7. And, you know, this is um, the end of this tier. I think there's a step up when we go to number 6. Uh, but my guy at number 7, another one who I just, I you know... I mean, I, I think this guy gets a lot of respect. And I think his combine helped him. Uh, but I don't feel... And maybe I'm not reading the right people... I'm not really reading very many people at all. I've got too much film to do. But um, maybe if anybody knows of people who are pimping this particular player, let me know because I want to give them some props. Um, but Michael Pittman out of USC. Again, not the most exciting player. You know, he's a little, you know, his 
His gait isn't particularly smooth. He's bulky. Um, but even with that, the guy ran 4.52. And I'll be honest, I did not expect Michael Pittman to run 4.52. Very exciting that he did to know that he can run that fast. Jumping 36.5 for him, also a little bit surprising. He's one of these people where the athleticism isn't always being shown off, but it exists. Um, and he, under 7 on the 3 cone too. So and 4 one on the shuttle. This guy basically did well in almost every um, aspect of the combine. He was a little light on the bench, which surprised me. Probably a, uh, a technique issue, but I'm a big fan of Michael Pittman. Um, one of the guys who he comps really well to, a guy who I liked last year that you guys will remember, um, Alan Lazard who came on really well uh, for Green Bay throughout the season. Um, Pittman, I think, is a slightly, well, not slightly, I think he's a better version uh, of Alan Lazard. Maybe doesn't have the ball skills. I've always loved Alan Lazard's ball skills. Um, but, man, Pittman is a blocker. He's more of a route technician than Lazard. For a big guy, he gets good separation. Um, and he really understands concepts. I think he's a really good part of a team offense. I think coaches are going to like to design design routes for Michael Pittman because he's going to run it correctly. Um, and if he's on a good offense, um, he's just got a lot of potential if he's got an accurate quarterback who can throw good timing passes. Um, you know, and I think for you know teams that emphasize perimeter blocking will really help Michael Pittman. And do not think that I'm trying to say, hey, this guy's a blocking receiver. It's not what I'm saying. But he's one of these receivers who will plant guys on perimeter blocks, which will encourage teams to keep him on the field, which will give him increased opportunity to make plays in the pass game. Um, so, you know, really like this player. I think he's technically good. I think he's athletically better than people realize. I think the size obviously, you know, gives him a lot of opportunity to, you know, make scoring plays that we like in the red zone. Really good all-around football player. And we've seen these guys come out of USC now. USC has really started to churn out technically sound receivers. We, I mean, really, um, you know, not just Juju, but, you know, you, you go back. Um, I mean, so many guys. Going back to Robert Woods, we've just really, you know, five or six receivers over the last 10 years that I've just really been impressed with how professional they play. Um, now, another guy who I think is a good... Um, comp for Michael Pittman, uh, and this is sort of an interesting one, but when I watch him, I see a little bit of Michael Floyd. Um, if you can sort of imagine Michael Floyd with maybe not quite as dynamic, you know, an athletic skill set, I mean, Michael Pittman isn't quite Michael Floyd, uh, he doesn't have quite the foot speed, uh, or just the, the twitchiness, Floyd had some twitchiness for a big body type, but he's close. Um, so if you can imagine Michael Floyd, you know, sober <laughs> his whole career, you know, maybe Michael Pittman could be that kind of player. Um, he can, he's a deep threat because of his size. He can run all the intermediate routes. He's very good against zone coverage. This guy's going to be a good NFL receiver. Uh, and again, I've got him at seven, but I don't know where the NFL is going to take him. And I don't know. I think the fact that he's less exciting, you know, Michael Pittman could be a guy who some of us really get nice value on him in like the second round uh, of rookie drafts. Um, you know, having said that, he could go a little higher than we expect in the NFL draft. Uh, the word could sort of get out, and he could be more in the first round. But, he, you know, I like him there, too, for what it's worth. Um, so that's sort of my, you know, if you look at this thing, I, you know, in a general sense, this would be like my third tier, Mim, Chanel, Ayuk, and Pittman. And I just want, again, I want to emphasize that I don't want to, like, 
these guys are not significantly less than the people who come ahead of them. Mims, we talked about the age, the fact that there's some some smallish things I don't like. Chenault and Ayuk have the injuries, which, you know, you always have to factor them in on some level. Um, you know, if there is a rookie year, guys who've been battling injuries could be a little bit behind the curve, even though they're, you know, air quote, ready for camp. Um, and then we're going to move... So again, 10, 9, 8, 7. We are at now 6. And boy, this is a guy, I think because he didn't do anything at the Combine, he sort of faded a little bit because, you know, there's not anything sort of, you know, nobody's hitting refresh on this guy the way they are on some other guys. And I think sometimes from a buzz perspective, that brings him down. Now, I think probably because this guy is so NFL-ready, the NFL draft should lift him back up into the higher part of the discussion, I think. Um, we're talking about T. Higgins uh, at Clemson. This is a guy with a 6'4", 2'16 frame who just doesn't carry himself that way. He, he carries that frame like a 6'2 guy, which is big. Um, he gets in and out of breaks very fluid, fluidly. Um, you know, a real, just a unique blend of length and nimbleness that you really see with normally just really great, great receivers. Um, and I don't know that T. Higgins is great, but I think he's very, very good. Um, you know, as, as my friend Sigmund Bloom might say, and I don't know if he agrees with this particular one, but, you know, T. Higgins exists in the delta between A.J. Green and Marvin Jones or something like that. He, he could be that kind of a player. Not quite an elite guy like A.J. Green, but very, very, very good. And I think, you know, maybe to the point, if we're going to have an NFL season this year, one of the great things about Higgins is he's ready. T. Higgins is ready to play in the NFL yesterday. And, you know, in dynasty drafts, that's a big deal. So if this guy goes to a place where we think he's got immediate opportunity, he is probably going to raise his value from year one to year two. And I know a lot of you, you know, draft and flippers love that. So, um, you know, that's worth noting if it's something you didn't already know. I'm thinking most of you probably did. But don't sleep on this guy. Don't let the fact that T. Higgins has been a little bit out of the discussion in the last couple months allow him to drift too far down on your board. You know, it's T. Higgins can freaking ball. So um, he is sort of in the mid-tier along with the next guy on my board. Um, you know, but again, these Clemson receivers, man, how many of them do we need to see before... You know, when you're like one of the lead dogs at Clemson, you have to show me how you're not good versus showing me that you are good. They coach these guys up down there. They find these guys. Uh, and, and, and to me, Higgins is going to be the next link in that chain. Um, so we're halfway through here, which, which is good because we are not at the 25-minute um, mark yet. Um, so we have a chance at coming in under an hour, you know, which is nice. Uh, and now we're in the top five, um, which is exciting because when you've got a class this deep and you're in the top five, you are pretty freaking good. Um, and, you know, part of me wants to maybe consider moving this guy even higher, but I think I'm I, ultimately I'm happy with where I've got him. We're talking about uh, Jalen Rieger um, out of TCU, uh, 21 years of age, 5'11", 206 pounds, which is something I think that's worth noting. Um, I've a couple of the people I've noticed who are sort of detracting on Rieger. It's almost like they're talking about him like he's one of these 180 pound receivers. Don't forget that this guy 
is over 200 pounds, 206 to be exact. He's got some bulk to him, um, which, you know, puts that 447-40 in a slightly different perspective. This is not, you know, a little water bug type of guy. This is a guy who's extremely athletic, um, but who has some size to him, okay? Um, you know, if Jalen Rieger showed up at 199, I bet he runs a little faster. Um, and it's possible that he plays closer to 200 as pro. That wouldn't surprise me either. But when you look at the total package, 42-inch vertical, are you kidding me? 138 inches broad? That's nuts, man. Um, this is a strong athlete. He's gifted. He is... I mean, he's got cat-like explosiveness, but he's also got the speed we look for. I, I love this guy. I love how quick he is in and out of his breaks. Um, there's just a ton to like. Now, you know, he's more than just being fun to watch. You know, it, it's it's interesting. Like, you know, part of me wants to say, this guy's a raw version of Odell Beckham, um, but that's not really really accurate um and the thing is even if you're going to go there i think you would have to then also say that he's also got a twist of Corey coleman so you know i don't i don't want to attach him really to either one of those players i think rieger is his own guy um but we should be a little bit sober when we look at him versus really all the players that i have well not all but three of the guys i've got ranked ahead of him um the alabama guys and um my LSU guy, um, you know, Rieger did play in a lesser conference. He did not face a steady string of really good cornerbacks the way you would if you play in the SEC. So I do think he's going to have a little bit more of an adjustment curve at the next level. He's a little bit more raw than some of these other players. Uh, but obviously, when you've got this type of athleticism, uh, there's a lot of things you can do. Now, and Jalen Rieger is a guy we are at the NFL level. Teams are going to be able to use him in a lot of different ways. He's not just a deep threat. He's not just a, you know, a guy you use on sweeps and stuff like that. This is a guy who can work all levels of the field once he's a finished product. Now, is he a finished product as a rookie? No. I think Jalen Rieger is a guy who... Because of his athleticism, he'll get on the field as a rookie. He'll probably do a lot of really impressive things. Will he be ready for a volume role? He's got to be on the right team, I think, for that. That's why he's just a step behind the other guys. Because I think there is a little bit more of a developmental curve with Rieger than some of these guys. And if you wanted to move Higgins above Rieger for that reason, depending on you know, how you're drafting, if you feel like I really need a finished product with this pick, yeah, Higgins over Rieger, I, I could see why you would do something like that, especially if the landing spots um, line up for something like that. Um, these players are close, man. So landing spots are definitely going to, as I say, they're going to reshake the snow globe a little bit. Um, but man, <laughs> this kid is exciting. And the fact that a guy like Rieger can be down at five, Again, just underscores how strong this class is. Um, so let's move up um, into our top four. And at number four, and this was, you know, he really is number four for me. But, I, you know, I'm excited about this player. But, and and we're, we're, we're at Henry Ruggs III now. Alabama, 21 years old, 5'11", 188 pounds, jumped 42 inches. And as I'm sure all of you know, ran 427, which is simply insane. Um, and I know some people sort of see him as a lottery ticket with a shaky floor, a guy who can never get to the volume. Um, and you know what? Th those elements are why he's below, you know, 
why he's at the four spot instead of like the one or the two. Um, you know, obviously, you know, when you even when you go back to Alabama, you look at Ruggs, he's very different from the number one receivers at Alabama. He's not an Amari Cooper. He's not a Ridley. He's not a Judy. These guys are technicians. They're guys who know how to uncover very quickly. Ruggs is a different player. It's true. He's not a guy who's going to come in and catch 90 balls in the NFL right away. Maybe someday. Maybe if he goes to a team that's going to manufacture touches for him. That kind of thing. But Ruggs is a guy who could get pigeonholed into a role that doesn't give him the volume we want. There are some th- are some ways where things could sort of go wrong for fantasy. Uh, I think he's going to pay off for the NFL team who drafts him. Don't get me wrong, but I think you know for us, landing spot at least for the first year or so could actually be very significant. If Ruggs goes to a place where he's the second or third option, running a lot of clearouts, you know he he could be more valuable to that team than he is on our team. Okay, so landing spot will be important for how we want to value him as a rookie in redraft. It'll be important for how long it takes him to develop into that high-end fantasy asset. And look, the fact that he isn't as refined from a technique standpoint as some of these other guys, it's a meaningful thing. Um, I, I don't want to minimize that, but it's also important to understand that, you know, that's not the role this guy's going to need to play. He's so explosive. And one of the things I love about Ruggs, you don't see guys 5'11", 188, who are this tough, who can, ha- who, can, who can stand up to contact the way he does. I love how tough he is for a guy who's only 188. Um, and another thing that you have to talk about with Ruggs, and you know, hand size is not something that we you know, just harp on over and over. It's not like... Uh, you know, you can have small hands and still be a great NFL receiver. I remember when we were telling people about that with John Brown when he came out, and people were like, "Oh my God, he's got like tiny, tiny hands." But yeah, look at him catch the football. He surrounds it with both hands. He's a good hands catcher. But with a guy like Ruggs, if you watch him play, he understands how to use that advantage of having. And Henry Ruggs doesn't have big hands. He's got monster mitts. You don't see guys who are five eleven, one eighty eight, with ten and an eighth inch hands. That's pretty absurd. And if you watch him play, there are plenty of plays where you can see him use that hand size to his advantage. He'll make a one-handed catch. He'll reach back fluidly for that ball behind him and not break stride. This is the benefit of having big-ass hands. You can do things that tiny-handed guys can't do. You don't go to the body catches easily. Um, So we love the fact that he's got the monster hands. We love the fact that he's got the speed. Uh, We love his overall athleticism, the explosiveness. Um, But you know, it, you don't just forget the negatives. This is a player who needs to develop his game more. Um, but the other side of that, and, you know, again, we've seen these guys, right? Um, these guys from programs like Alabama and Ohio State, where they have a surplus of athletes, where they get ahead in a high percentage of their games, where a lot of the time the high-end players are barely playing in the second half. That will keep numbers down, right? So, you know, guys like Odell Beckham, guys like, um, uh, back to Ohio State, Michael Thomas, Terry McLaurin, um, perhaps soon we'll be talking about Paris Campbell in this vein. These are guys where their ability, you know, totally outdistanced their statistics at the college level. I think Ruggs has a really good chance of being one of those guys. Now, All these guys are different. Ruggs is not a Michael Thomas or an OBJ. I think he fits more into that McLaurin-Campbell 
class. But I'm just saying, we, we it's important to understand, especially folks, I know a lot of folks out there, they look at you know, dominator rating and market share and all this stuff. And I'm not trying to say that there's no reason to look at that. But I think you have to look at the context with some of these programs, that they're not out there trying to, you know, pimp their guys. They're not out there trying to help their guys get stats. They're just about winning. And Alabama, Ohio State, that, that's what these programs are like. So I think... You know, for people who are looking for a certain amount of volume from a prospect to, air quote, prove he's good, that can get you into problems with certain teams, okay? And I think, you know, way out in front, Bama and Ohio State, when Urban Meyer was there doing the uh, recruiting, and obviously a lot of his guys are still there, these guys can fall into those categories. So, you know, Ruggs, I think, Ruggs can be this year's McLaurin. The difference is... People are a little more open-minded to it now, and the fact that he ran 4 7 um, and the NFL is sort of showing you where they're at on this guy early, I think everybody's a little more open-minded to the concept of Ruggs versus the concept of McLaurin. Um, so, you know, in some ways, McLaurin was a much better opportunity for us. I, I got McLaurin in like the third round of some drafts last year. Um, you're going to have to pay more to get Ruggs, so the benefit won't be quite as strong, but still, you know, um, and, and you know what, we'll really talk about him. He's big landing spot, I think, Ruggs, as I mentioned. And, you know, what we'll do once we get into the post-draft is we'll say, okay, now we know where he's going. Now we can sort of get a feel based on the chatter, based on some early returns in rookie drafts, where he's going. Now we can think about how do we want to go about um, targeting him. All right. That is seven really good wide receiver prospects down, three to go. Uh, now we are really moving into the elite. Um, the the guys remaining on the board are big time game ready NFL receivers, um, and the next guy may be, you know, arguably the most game ready of the bunch. Um, Justin Jefferson out of LSU, man. I can watch this guy play all day. He is so freaking smooth. He reminds me of a lot of those classic Steeler receivers like Manny Sanders and Santonio Holmes. Um, although, you know, I think maybe my, my favorite comparison that, that I have with Justin Jefferson is just imagine a better version of Robert Woods. You know, imagine Robert Woods running 4-4-3, um, you know, with a little bit more spring in his step and a little bit more size on his frame. That's Justin Jefferson, folks. I mean, I mean, this guy can just flat play. And, and, and maybe some folks are sort of pigeonholing him as an interior weapon. I, I don't see it. I mean, I think this guy can play anywhere you want him to play. Now, do we want him to be an interior weapon in the right offense? Yeah, definitely. We love slot statistics. They're easier to, uh, you know, to amass. So, you know, the fact that he is a good inside receiver, I think, that's obviously a good thing. Uh, I just don't want anybody to see it as some type of limiting factor. I don't think it is. I think this guy could go start outside for just about any team in the league and kick ass. Um, now, the fact that he's got uh, formational flexibility, whatever the hell you want to call it, obviously that's a positive. Um, I mean, th this guy just shows up, man. Every time I watch him play, he's just so good. He's so smooth. I mean, I was actually... I didn't know he was that fast, to be honest, because he's so smooth, it hides the speed sometimes. Um, I mean, barring injury, it's just very, very hard to see Justin Jefferson failing at the next level. I, I just don't see it. This guy is tier one all the way for me. Like I said, he'd make a tremendous Pittsburgh Steeler. Um, I, I, they're really... 
are there aren't any offenses that I wouldn't like this kid in. Um, and I mean, who knows? Maybe he maybe he becomes a Ram. Maybe he, you know, maybe he steals Woods' slot job. I don't know. No, nah, that's probably not going to happen. But um, you know, landing spot for Jefferson is important for me. Really. Only in that we want him to be able to get volume. So, you know, I don't want him to go to a place where there's already a couple volume receivers and he's going to have to really fight for what he gets. I, I don't want him to go to an inaccurate quarterback because this guy was made for accurate quarterbacks. You know, he's... He'd be... You know, he'd make a, a, an inaccurate quarterback better, but, you know, this guy, you know, a guy who's accurate and throws the ball with timing is just going to light it up with this guy. It, it, you know, it's... I really am excited to see which offense Justin Jefferson's going to because I can't wait to start thinking about what he is going to be. I can't wait to put him in that context. Um, you know, because I would hate to... I would hate for him to have a situation holding him back because this is a guy who could have a big, big, big rookie season in the right spot because he's ready. He's ready to go out and dominate, and he can he can run routes against NFL corners no problem. Um, you know he played obviously in a, a pro style offense, um, and obviously you know Burrow is exactly the kind of quarterback that we're talking about here. So Justin Jefferson, man, you know if you're one of these folks out there who really wants Judy and Lamb and you can't get your hands on them, and it's like oh man I got the Jefferson pick. My 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 advice to you is don't worry about it. Just take Jefferson and enjoy. If for some reason the landing spot alters that viewpoint, we'll let you know after the draft. But like, the only way I see it being a problem for Jefferson is like if you went to a team like the Falcons, you know, where they've already got Julio and they've already got um, Ridley, you know, something like that, where he's like walking in as the third option. Um, and, you know, if he goes to a team like the Jets, he's going to be great right out of the box. Um, and really, I think a lot of teams he'll be great right out of the box. Um, now, there's two guys left. I think everybody listening knows who they are. Um, I think the thing I want to talk about when it comes to C.D. Lamb and Jerry Judy, I mean, they're not similar players, right? They're similar in terms of how good they are. They're similar in that they're both going to go high in the NFL draft. They're similar in that they're both going to have really good NFL careers as long as they stay healthy. Um, but, boy, they're very different players. You know, um, Lamb, obviously has a lot more juice after the catch. Jerry Judy is the best player in this class in terms of putting himself in a position to receive the football. He gets open. He gets open quickly. He gets open on all three levels. Um, so these two guys, you know, they're different. I think C.D. Lamb is the home run swing. I think he's got more unexplored ceiling. I think he's got more ability to just put up monster numbers. Jerry Judy, you know, he fits into that, you know, you know, as I said, he's he really is like the next link um, in that chain at Alabama. He's He has a lot of things that are reminiscent of Amari Cooper, a lot of elements that are reminiscent of Calvin Ridley. I mean, he's when you look at him and Ridley, it's sort of scary how they line up on the balance sheet. I mean, very similar. Obviously, Judy had the earlier breakout. He's younger coming out. So you don't, ha you know, Judy doesn't have naysayers like Ridley had naysayers because of his age. <laughs> and if you go back and, you know, we talked about that, it was really quite silly he was just too good to be worried about the fact that he's his breakout was a little bit too late on his curve um but judy doesn't have that problem the only thing about judy that gives me pause is he's a violent player in his own world meaning he puts stress on his own body 
if you watch the way he cuts, a lot of his cuts, he's getting so low. He's putting so much torque on the knees and the ankles. It, it reminds me a little bit of Hakeem Nicks. So part of me thinks it's, you know, Judy, and you know what, I actually heard the other day, I can't remember who was making this comparison, but it's a good one. Um, you know, they're making a Keenan Allen comparison. Now, different players, for sure. Allen's got a little more size, not nearly as fast, um, but the great technical footwork, very similar, right? So, you know, could Judy be a, um, you know, that that type of player? Could he be Keenan Allen? Yeah, yeah, he could be Keenan Allen, sure. Um and he could have the type of injuries we've seen with Keenan Allen. Now, Allen's injuries aren't so much torque. I think a lot of it's bad luck. But I do worry about Judy just because he's putting so much stress on his lower body with some of these cuts. Um, but having said that, you know what? That's touchy-feely. I'm not a doctor. That's just my personal opinion. Um, I would <laughs> I would not let that scare you off of Judy. It's, it's, it's just the one thing that sort of gives me pause. Um, Everything else, you know, this guy's really good. Now, is he going to be like the next great thing? Is he is Jerry Judy going to be the best receiver in the NFL someday? I don't think so. I think he'll be a top 10 NFL receiver for a fair amount of time. Um, CeeDee Lamb, on the other hand, in the right spot with the right quarterback, he could move up into that top two or three or four area um, where he's just great. Um on the other side of the coin, Lamb has a little bit more of a curve in the NFL. If he goes to a place where he's absolutely the number one guy right out of the box and he's going to be facing number one corners, that's going to maybe slow him down as a rookie a little bit. Could maybe even get into an area where people are disappointed in him as a rookie, possibly, right? If he's, you know, he goes to a team where he's the number one receiver and he's facing number one corners and he doesn't have a good quarterback, I'm sort of sitting there going through my mind, which team would that be? I'm not sure. But... I can see scenarios that aren't great for Lamb as a rookie based on the development that he still got. There's rawness to his game. And, you know, he got to play, you know, Oklahoma's schedule just isn't Alabama's schedule, okay? But, you know, and then the one other thing about Lamb, it would be nice to see him get up into that 204, 205 range, and I think he will. I think he's he's one of those kids who you can see he's still maturing physically. Um, so, you know, how you choose to separate Judy and Lamb. I mean, I've got Lamb at two, Judy at one, but it's about, you know, it's sort of like the reason I have Jefferson over Ruggs because I think it's easier to measure what Jefferson and Judy do. It's easy to see that they're just absolutely ready to hit the ground running in the NFL. Um, you know, where Lamb, I think, is a little bit more of a wild card as a rookie, I just sort of feel like if we project, if we think a little bit down you know, down the road, if we, you know, see past that first curve in their career, where's C.D. Lamb going to be if he has a good quarterback, say, two or three years from now? I, it's a little bit more enticing for me. Um, so, you know, I guess for me, it's like if I'm feeling a little, you know, saucy and I want to go for it, I might go with Lamb. If I want to play it close to the vest and I really want to make sure this guy is going to help my lineup this year, and, I, and maybe if I'm a draft and flipper and I want a guy who I know I'm going to be able to move, maybe Judy. But they're close. And I think landing spot is going to clear a lot of this stuff up. I don't think landing spot is going to move, it's not going to move Judy below Rigor. Okay, or, or Lamb below Rigor. It's not going to move Justin Jefferson into a different tier. These guys are going to be my top tier. I think landing spot, based on what 
I've given you in this top 10, it may move guys within tiers. Maybe we could see a guy like Ayuk jump over a guy like Pittman, stuff like that. Um, you know, maybe we could see a guy like Higgins jump over Rieger. Maybe Higgins could even jump over Ruggs if the landing spot was just perfect and we don't like Ruggs' landing spot. But, you know, how much these guys are going to move is limited, okay? But, man, I just, I really can't say enough about how good the top 10 guys are. I mean, just the fact that I was having trouble getting Mims higher. Uh, you know, and and it's again important. The fact that I have Mims at ten, I really don't want you guys to come away from this going, "Hey, Pete's down on Mims." I'm really not. There's just when guys are this good, you know. There's a, there's a lot of times where we're looking at the top ten receivers, and it's like, "Hey, how do they win? What makes them good?" These guys all have ways that they win. So it starts getting like, okay, well, what are the problem areas? Who has the most problem areas? We start looking at it from that perspective. And, you know, Ayuk with the injury, Chenault with the injury. Oh, I'm sorry. Ayuk with the injury, Chenault with the injuries. Mims with the advanced age and the fact that he does some things that we don't like to see. That just sort of brings them down at the bottom, but they're still so intriguing. Um, and some of these other guys, like I mentioned, like a guy like Chase Claypool, it would not shock me if some NFL team is absolutely in love with Chase Claypool. And he could be a guy who really jumps up in future years and we're like, man, why didn't we have this guy higher? You know, there's, and there's other guys like that. Um, you know, I got to Ty Johnson's film late. And man, he was really impressive. I wish I had even more film of his. Um, so, and we haven't even talked about guys outside of the top 20. So this is a really strong class. This is going to be a lot of fun this year in terms of, like I said before, in terms of these rookie drafts, there's going to be a lot of ways to play it. Um, and I think the one thing you don't want to do this year in a rookie draft is sit there and make a pick if you don't know who to pick. If you're sitting there with more than one player this year, try to move back because this is going to be a year where so many people have the love for various players, like even if you're sitting there at the 11th overall pick and you've got three guys there, think about moving back. Definitely don't don't make that pick until you've shaken the tree a little bit because, you know, you're sitting there going, well, you know, I think maybe I'll take, you know, Chanel here, but, you know, maybe I like Pittman, maybe I like um, Ayuka, who knows who might be on the board based on landing spot, but there's a good chance that somebody in your league you know, has real love for one of these players. And if they do, if they're if if that guy is say two or three spots behind you, it almost doesn't matter what they're giving you. I mean, obviously you want to get something, but you know, and this is something I've done really the last couple of years. Always make sure that there's not an offer there. Always make sure that nobody's willing to pay something real to move up. Because if I'm sitting there and again, say landing spots are all equivalent, and Chenault and Ayuk um, and Pittman are all on the board, um, and a guy three spots behind me is sitting there waving a late second rounder at me, or a second rounder 2021, or a player that I like who might help me this year, I, you know, I'm going to take that every time. So this is really a draft, because so many of these guys are exciting, right? You know, and again, like Mims moves up, that means guys like Higgins and Pittman and Ayuk are going to be moving down, or somebody will, right? So all of these players are going to have specific fans, right? So 
you may not know who the Mims guy in your league is. You may not know who the Pittman guy in your league is. You may not know who the Higgins guy in your league is. That's why you have to market during the draft. And I've talked about this before. Nobody likes to be that guy who just sits on the clock and markets players and just want, like, you know, maybe I can slow pick somebody into jumping up just because they're antsy. I don't like being that guy. But by the same token, don't be that guy who picks fast just to keep the draft going. Don't do that. Don't be that guy either. If you, if, you know, if you're sitting there with two or three people that you like, always make sure you talk to the guy behind you and maybe it's not a guy, the person behind you, the person behind them. And sometimes it's even worth messing around a little bit. If you have a guy that you like up in that end of the first round scenario, but you know that for the most part they're getting to the middle of round two, you can trade back even a little bit further. Now you're taking a chance, but if what you're getting is enough to merit the chance, go for it. And again, the, the consolation prizes in this draft are going to be really fun consolation prizes. Even when, even after the tier drops, the next tier is usually strong. So um, this is going to be a fun draft. We're going to really want to keep hammering this thing down. But I really have a, a feeling that late second round, early third, we're going to have a lot of fun this year. So keep your head on a swivel. Keep learning. Keep watching film. Keep listening to this podcast. Keep listening to other podcasts. Um, we got a couple days left, and then we're going to have a lot more time, I think, for most of you. Because I don't think most... like I. The only reason I have drafts that start right after the draft is because they're industry drafts. Um, I think most people are going to have another two, three, four, five, six weeks to sort. And I really think this class... Doing the extra work, doing that extra sorting is really going to help you be, you know, predatory uh, in your rookie drafts. And this is a year to be smart and then to be predatory. Anyway, uh, that's all I got. We're just hitting the 50-minute mark here. We came in under an hour. That's good. Um, So I'm going to post this bad boy, and uh, I'm going to get right back to work. I'm going to start getting my quarterback board in order, start getting my tight end board more in order. Um, We're going to have a podcast with those two groups coming up in the next couple days. And then time permitting, and I really think I will get this done. It's just a question of how many guys can we get into. But once I'm, uh, obviously we've got the running backs in the books. As soon as I finish this pod, we've got the top receivers in the books. We're going to get the quarterbacks and the tight ends in the books. And then I'm hoping to do a fifth podcast. It probably comes out on draft day where I'm probably going to try to hit like another five to 10 players who, while they didn't get into the top 10, they're still guys that I really, really like. And I want you guys to just, you know, just have them on your radar. Okay. All right. So that's it for the uh, pre-draft wide receiver pod. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Hope you guys are doing okay with all this COVID stuff. Um, You might tell from my voice, but New York life has gotten just a shade better. It's not as scary as it was a week ago. It's still pretty awful. Um, It's still really hard to get food. Uh, And I apologize, I have not been as present as I normally would be, but what can I tell you? These are tough times. Anyway, I hope all you guys are safe. I hope none of you are positive. for those of you who are, I hope you get through this quickly. I hope nobody has friends who are sick. Um, and, you know, let's all hang in together. So that's going to do it for the Monday 420 version of the Rotobond podcast. See you all soon. Giddy up. Now my journey takes me further south.